All right, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. Before we get started today, let's consider this our lobby moment where we have an opportunity to get to know one another. If you would, please share your name and maybe from where you might be worshiping with us today. In just a moment here, you'll see a countdown letting us know that worship is about to begin, and you can prepare your heart during that time. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, welcome. Second City Church and welcome to our service. You know, we serve a God that is worthy to be praised. This first song is called, How Can I Keep From Singing? Um, and it's really reflecting on, you know, that's the least we can do. God is so good to us. He is daily giving us blessings. He made a sacrifice on the cross that does not compare to anything. And so this first song is just to position our hearts into worshiping the Lord because He deserves all the praise and all the glory.
Jesus, we love you, Lord. We magnify your name. We worship your holy name, Lord Jesus. We welcome you in this place. Fill us with your love, with your grace, and your kindness, Lord God. We worship you. Hello everybody, welcome to Second City Church today. We're so happy that you're here. Please go ahead and invite somebody to join us so that they can encounter God just like you. 
and receive the healing and the good news of Jesus into their lives like we are. And if you're here with us live, please click that live prayer button. We've got prayer counselors standing by who are very excited to pray with you and help God's healing and His kingdom with His Son to come in your life. So please do that today. Uh, now, if you're here with us any amount of time, multiple Sundays, you hear us talk about the three C's of Christ, community, and culture. So number one, it's all about Jesus Christ, Christ, the Savior of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth, and we want you to get to know Him today so that you can have your house in order for eternity. So please reach out to us, let us know that you want to get to know Him, and we want to help you get started on that path. The second C is community. We want you to get involved in the family of God through joining a community group. So go to our website, find a community group that's either virtual or online that works for you and sign up for that and get involved this week. Uh, third C is culture. Not only in Christ Jesus do we become a part of the family of God to spend eternity with Him, but we become a part of the family business. And this message of forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name is for everybody, the whole culture, and He has a place for you to be involved with that. So talk to us, see how you can begin serving to help get that message out. We want to help you find that. Uh, so guys, we're excited to announce that Children's Ministry is back up and going virtually right now uh, from 9.45 to 10 a.m. So kids come, uh, re get a Bible story reading in, and learn all about this good God that we're worshiping every day. So virtually from 9.45 to 10 a.m. Then water baptisms are coming up on Sunday, November 7th at 2 p.m. If you have not taken this step of faith and surrender to the Lord Jesus through water baptism, He wants you to receive that grace. So talk to us. We'll help you get ready for that day. And then we also want to remind you guys that there is pre-service prayer happening online and in person at the Greenhouse Theater on Sundays from 9 a.m. to 9.45 a.m. So please come join in that good work and be encouraged. Now we're going to continue on in our time of worship through giving. We've been working our way through the Old Testament, uh, looking at all the places that it talks about offerings. And we find ourselves at 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3, which says, And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So what we see here is what not to do, and what God has done for us so that we don't have to. To do that and so the Lord our God gave his one and only son as an offering for the sins of the world for you and I so that we could have life and so today we can give our offerings because he first gave to us and he has saved us so let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for doing what only you could do and that we could be delivered from the fruitless works of trying to save ourselves that you gave your one and only son and so today we ask that you would build up thanksgiving in us, Lord, that we would worship you properly, Lord, and help us to give what you have given to us of the time, talent, and treasure, Lord, that your house may be built up, and that the good news of Jesus may go forth. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, friends, let's turn our attention now to the preaching of the Word of God. All right, we hope that you were able to enjoy that worship set and are once again so glad that you've chosen to join us for our service today. Now, today what we're doing is we're continuing our series called Re-Engage. And even over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about first re-engaging Jesus Christ himself as the head of the church. Secondly, we talked last week about re-engaging his community of faith and actually finding the grace of God within it. Today, we're going to actually be talking about re-engaging our culture. If God's gospel has really transformed and changed and shaped our lives, what is to be our response to that as we live our daily lives as Christians in the world? And so today, our focus is going to be this, that we will re-engage the world with the good news of Jesus when we are truly touched by God's heart for the lost. We're going to break this message into three parts. They're three simple parts, but we hope that there'll be pegs in your soul to really help um, motivate you as you go on from this place. We're going to first talk about the fact that Jesus loves sinners. He doesn't love what they do, but he loves the people themselves. Secondly, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus heals sinners. He doesn't leave them where they are, but he calls them to repentance and faith that they, he might actually transform their lives. And then thirdly, Jesus calls the healthy who have been transformed to help heal the sick. 
So Jesus loves sinners, Jesus heals sinners, and Jesus calls the healthy to help the sick. So before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us to show us not only who you are, but your heart towards us and the world around us. God, would you help us to uh, really have your heart implanted within us today by the power of that word in your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's um, look today at the fact that God loves sinners, that Jesus, in fact, loves sinners by looking at a particular passage that you might not be familiar with in the scripture, but it comes out of Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And Jesus, as we know, when he was in his earthly ministry, had 12 apostles, 12 select disciples that he had chosen to be um, those who would see what he did, heard what he taught, and then ultimately be sent out to do the same in their lives and ministry. But you would have thought to yourself, maybe the people that he selected, uh, I don't know about you, but before I uh, came into the church and before I became a follower of Jesus, um, I often thought that he was only choosing those who had it all together in their lives and that they, he was only choosing those who had an impeccable track record and people who uh, literally were able to um, uh, stand before men without any guilt or shame about them. But what we'll see from the scripture is that Jesus, even in the choosing of his select 12 apostles, selected those men from a group of people who otherwise had a marred track record who literally had a, as we talked about last week, a checkered past and literally would not have been celebrated or approved in the eyes of the world prior to Jesus calling them to himself and actually rearranging, transforming, and renewing their lives so that they might follow him in his purposes. And we see that with one of Jesus' apostles in particular, a man named Levi, who was otherwise known as Matthew. And you might recognize the name Matthew because he was the writer of the first of the Gospels, where we have the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This Levi, who we're going to be speaking and reading about today, is the one, one of the ones that Jesus called to himself, who came from one of those checkered passes, um, paths. And we see that in his life, Jesus loves sinners. So we'll understand this. God loves those who the world does not, even those who do not love themselves. God loves those who the world does not, even those that do not love themselves. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It says, After this, he, meaning Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so here we see that um, understanding this scripture is an important one because not only understanding who Levi is or who Levi was is important, but you have to under also understand that this Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, what he did was equally as important. Prior to Jesus calling him to himself, he was known as a tax collector. Um, otherwise, maybe he might have worked for the Israeli IRS. And so the thing about it is at the time, he was a person who was not appreciated and was deemed a traitor by the people of Israel to his fellow Jews. The reason why is because during the Roman occupation of Israel, tax collectors were basically placed in their communities as puppets. And they were basically, for their own personal gain, able to exact taxes that were to go to the Roman government. And they were uh, able to exact taxes that many times were unfair, many times that were more than what they should have taken, and they would cheat, rob, and steal from their fellow Jews at the time. 
but they were backed by the Roman government and so they were able to maintain their place of power within that society. Now, I don't know about you, and I know all of that um, has been going on on Capitol Hill. Uh, we just avoided uh, yet another uh, government shutdown, and the debt ceiling is continually being raised, and um, trillions of dollars are being poured into our economy. And many people have trouble with the way that our taxes and the, the, the finances of our economy are being handled by our government. And many people have issue with our government leaders in the way that they're doing things. Well, if you think about the, all of the issues that many people have with the government that we have presently, multiply that and exponentially uh, multiply that by uh, a certain power to understand how the fellow Jews uh, perceived and related with Levi, otherwise known as Matthew during that time. So he was known as a traitor, he was known as a cheat, he was known as someone who was dishonest, he was known as someone who could not be trusted. And Jesus went to this Levi and said, you know what, I choose you. I choose you not because of the way you've been living, not because of the things that you've done, not because um, you are good in and of yourself, but because I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I can change your life. And as I change your life, set you on course to live a life of honor that glorifies me. And if Jesus could do that for Levi, this hated, mistrusted, tax collector in the middle of the Roman Empire, think about what he can do in your life. It ultimately does not matter what you've done or where you've come from. There is no sin too deep. There is no separation too wide by which God himself cannot rescue and redeem, restore and renew your life through what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. Because Jesus lived the sinless life that you should have lived. And on the cross died the sacrificial death that you should have died in payment for your sins. You have the ability through your repentance, turning away from those sins and your faith, your trust in what Jesus has done for you at the cross and his resurrection from the dead to be transformed, made new and live a new life in him. Why? Because Jesus loves sinners. He loved Matthew, otherwise known as Levi, the tax collector, and he loves you and he loves me. And that's the good news of the gospel. So if you need to turn, today is your day to make your way to the cross and turn to the living God in Jesus Christ. But what we see in Matthew's situation is that Jesus doesn't just love sinners, but and he doesn't just choose sinners, but he also heals sinners. And God is a physician at heart who loves to see, heal sinners. That's why Jesus was ultimately known as the great physician. And we know that sin ultimately, the wages or what we earn for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what we mean by what we earn for or our wages for sin is death is that the result or the product of our the sin or the rebellion, the wrong choices in our lives ultimately breaks our relationships. It damages our minds, our emotions, our psyche. It, it damages our families. It damages society at large. And ultimately, we need healing after we've lived lives of drunkenness, addiction, adultery, lust. We need healing once we've lived in sexual morality, once we lived as thieves or liars or cheats. We need to be healed. And ultimately, God is a physician at heart who loves to heal sinners. Now, when Matthew was called by God, it was part of that healing process. You see, because it wasn't a private thing that Jesus did. He went to Matthew at the tax collector's booth, ultimately in public. And Jesus said, you know what, even though everyone else is rejecting you, and there's probably a stigma in your soul right now because of the rejection and the stigma that you've had attached to your life. Jesus says, I choose you and I approve of you, not because of what you've done, but because of my choosing. And that in and of itself started the healing process in Matthew's life. 
And Matthew was so healed by that acceptance of God, so healed by that calling of God, that it liberated his soul, not just to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but then he wanted to extend and offer that same grace that he experienced to the world around him. So he was so overflowing with gratitude that what did, what did he do? Immediately, it said that he threw a great feast in his house and there was a large company of other tax collectors and sinners reclining at the table with him. So he basically said, you know what? I'm so overcome and so overwhelmed by the love of God, despite my mistakes, despite my failings, despite my sin, he came and publicly chose me that I want to offer this to the rest of the world. He healed my heart in such a way that I'm whole again. I'm whole again, and I can look people in the eye. I can actually walk in the crowd humbly, but with my head held high. I can relate with people, not in shame, but knowing that I'm forgiven and made whole again. And because of that, he said, I've got to offer this to the world, the other people that I know who are just like me in similar circumstances. So I'm going to call the rest of the tax collectors around me, and I'm going to bring them to a place where they too can meet Jesus where they can meet this great friend of sinners who's also a great physician looking not for the healthy but for the sick to seek and to save the lost calling sinners to repentance that he might heal them and so matthew in this party um, throws this party and he basically is inviting jesus to do in others the same thing that Jesus had done in him to heal his fellow sinners. And Jesus begins to do that work. But when others uh, who were religious leaders and the uh, you know religious elite of the day began to see what Jesus was doing, they didn't applaud him immediately, but they began to ridicule him and say, why are you eating and drinking with these tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know who they are? And Jesus had to answer them saying, listen, don't you know my heart? You say you represent me, but don't you know my heart? Your responsibility as a follower of mine is to know my heart and represent my heart and my truth, my word to the world. And he says, if you want to know my heart, Jesus says, not only do I love sinners, not only do I heal sinners, but I'm telling you, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician like me, but those who are sick. Jesus said in verse 32, I've not come to call the righteous. I haven't come just for religious people, but I've come, literally left my throne in heaven above from, that I ruled and reigned with my Father and the Holy Spirit in all, from all eternity past. And I came and put on flesh, humbled myself to walk amongst humanity to do what? Not call the religious, not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was saying, my heart bleeds for this. My heart beats for this. The very reason I am here is because I love sinners and I'm coming to heal them. And that was good news, not only to Matthew's ears, but you could imagine to the other tax collectors and sinners who were eating with Jesus at that dinner party. And so what we see is that even as Jesus loves sinners and even as Jesus heals sinners, when we spend, well, ultimately when we're healed by God, when we're healed by God, ultimately he involves us in the process of offering that healing to others by making his good news known to the world. And when we spend time with people, it should be in the hopes that they get even closer to Jesus, the healer, and the healing that they need. That's what Matthew provided for his fellow tax collectors and sinners as they were at that party with Jesus. And so what we see is that Jesus, once he begins healing us as sinners, Jesus calls the healthy, ultimately, he heals us to make us healthy, right? 
And he says, he calls the healthy to help the sick. And we were all once lost people who can now help find others and help them find their way back home to God. And it's ultimately what we call in the Christian church, um, us being a witness for Jesus, what we've seen of him and what we've heard of him that's led to our healing. But then also, it's also being a witness of his truth, his life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection. And it's being a witness of these things that is associated with a word called evangelism, where we're proclaimers of God's good news that the sick might actually come to the healer and get their healing. And if Jesus ultimately, like in the case of Matthew, this case of Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, was healing him and then involving him in his process of healing, God wants to obviously do the same in us. And we need to re-engage our culture by re-engaging God's heart for the lost. What that practically means is we all need to, like Matthew, find a way to engage the world that they might meet Jesus too, through our efforts and our lives. But how do we do that? Well, years ago, there were two gentlemen, a man named Mark Middleberg and another man named Lee Strobel. Many of you might have heard of Lee Strobel before because he wrote a series of books called The Case for Christ series. He started off talking about the historicity of Jesus. Um, whenever he, his wife um, actually became a Christian, he and his wife had lived in, atheist, um, in an atheist belief system lived in an atheist lifestyle, but he was a very successful journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And for years they had been fine, and as so they thought in their marriage and their living, but his wife became a Christian. He was displeased with it, and over the course of two years, used all of his award-winning journalistic skills to try to disprove the claims of the Christ, the claims of the Christian faith, and have his wife come back to her senses. And he recorded his research in the books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, talking about the philosophical um, backings of uh, Christianity, The Case for the Creator, the scientific evidences for God, and then pointing to Jesus Christ himself, and The Case for the Real Jesus, really talking about the anthropological truths that are found in Jesus as the sole and unique Son of God. And in these chroniclings of his research, ultimately, when he was faced with the facts, he himself became a Christian and is now one of, like Matthew, one of the great proponents of the Christian faith, helping people find reasons for the hope that they have in the Lord based on historic, scientific, anthropological, and philosophical evidence. But Mark Middleberg and Lee Strobel wrote a series um, of tools, books, which were tools to help people become like Matthew and share their faith with others. And really, they called it the styles of evangelism. And what I want to present and end with is present to you with the styles of evangelism, where when Jesus calls the healthy to help the sick, what are the different styles what are their strengths and what are their underbellies that we can identify God has gifted us to walk in so that we might not try to be somebody else to be an effective sharer of this good news of Jesus or a witness for um, Jesus, but we might actually walk in the frame that God's given us to share this good news like Matthew did with others and see them healed just as we've been healed. So we're going to talk about the different styles. And as we talk about the seven different styles, I want you to think about what style or what way God has shaped and framed you so that you might actually begin to develop that style as Matthew did his own style to share the good news of Jesus with others. You don't have to be like somebody else. God will put his super on your natural to use you for his glory and bring many into a reconciled relationship with him. So what are those seven styles? First, I'm going to tell you the names of the styles, 
and then we'll give you a biblical example of those styles and then we'll finally um, talk about the underbelly of each of those styles that we might avoid their weaknesses and walk in their strength okay so first the seven styles number one is the confrontational style and in the confrontational style we see that much like the apostle peter on the day of uh, Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, baptized and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter was no longer the man who was cowering before the slave women, uh, denying Jesus, warming himself by the fire, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He got up on the day of Pentecost and in front of thousands said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. No, not anybody else, but you. <laughs> you and you and you and you. You crucified both Lord and Christ. And so that was obviously a head-on approach. He was confrontational in the sin that the people committed, but also when the people heard it, they were cut to the heart and said, what are we supposed to do then? You're right. We crucified him wrongly. What are we supposed to do? And Peter gave them the instruction, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it said that literally the people responded to the message of the gospel. They, through his confrontation of their sin and his proclamation of the word, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the church of Jesus Christ was birthed after Christ's resurrection from the dead. But that was a confrontational style. Now, though that has obviously a strength to it, there is a, an underbelly. And we don't want to let our brashness in a confrontational style. If you find yourself to be in the confrontational style, you don't want to let your brashness turn people away from the truth of the gospel. Remember, you don't have to fear turning people off when they're not serving um, Jesus already by sharing the good news. It's the way in which you share it. You don't have to worry about turning people off because they're already turned off. But you do want to make sure that you're not turning people off by your personality or your presentation rather than letting the gospel speak for itself. That's both the strength and the weakness of the confrontational style. Some of you might find yourself to be in that style. Secondly is the intellectual style. And an example of that was Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 17 when he was in the Areopagus, the center of cultural and intellectual thought in Greece at the time. And what he was doing is he was taking from the cultural uh, um, uh, mores and the trends that were around them and using it to point them to the truth that was in Jesus Christ alone. And in the intellectual style, Paul was giving people reasons for the hope that they could have in Christ. Now that's a strength, but if you find yourself in an intellectual style, you might like things like apologetics and uh, things that are giving defenses of the faith. But the underbelly is you don't want to let arguments or rabbit trails prevent you from getting to the simple message of the gospel. It is the gospel that saves, and apologetics are only there to support the truth of the gospel. Number three, you might find yourself having a testimonial style. And the testimonial style was much like the blind man in John chapter 9, where Jesus healed the blind man. And everyone was wondering, how is it that you got your healing? And he, they were trying to deny Jesus, his authority and his identity. But the blind man said to them, listen, you can argue all you want, but all I know is I was blind and now I like your red shirt. <laughs> I was blind and now I can see. And so you can argue all you want about who you think Jesus is, but my testimony cannot be refuted. And maybe that's some of you. You have a testimony talking about your before Christ, your conversion experience, and your AD, your life since Christ, which is powerful. And you love to tell that story so that others might know how God has transformed your life. It's a powerful witness. But the underbelly is, is you don't want to let your story be the end of the matter without telling them Christ's story and how the listener can respond to the same gospel message to which you responded. That's the testimonial style. Number four is the interpersonal style. And that is basically what many of you will find yourself in. It's the relational style where basically you love to share the good news of Jesus through your relationships. 
Now, the thing about it is, is that was exemplified with Matthew in Luke chapter 5, right? The passage we just read. Matthew was using his relationship with the other tax collectors and the sinners to throw a party so that through their relationship, they could meet Jesus. Now, that's a powerful and a good mode of sharing the good news. But the underbelly is you don't want to let your desire to preserve friendship trump engaging others with the truth that they need. At some point, God's gospel will conflict with the sin that's in someone's lives and in someone's life. And they need to repent of that sin and believe the good news of Jesus to really receive the salvation that he um, purchased for them with his own life. And at times, that can come into conflict with the uh, ease of which you relate in your relationships with your friends, your family members, and your coworkers. But you don't want to exalt your relationship with them over giving them the truth that they need. You know, Proverbs 27 actually says, open rebuke is better than hidden love. And we want to be those who love people openly so that they might also meet Jesus openly, just as Matthew did at that tax collector's booth. Number five is the invitational style. And the invitational style was um, represented by the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, when Jesus gave her that word of knowledge saying, go call your husband. And she said, listen, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man that you're now with isn't your husband either. And she was like, oh my goodness, I see that you're a prophet. And basically she was, her eyes and heart were open to the fact that Jesus was in fact the son of God. She responded to Jesus in kind um, when Jesus proclaimed himself as the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And what did that Samaritan woman do? She immediately went back to her village and said, come and see a man who told me everything that I'd ever done. And when the people came and heard the words of Jesus himself, they said, we no longer believe just because of what you've told us, but we can see and we hear for ourselves that this truly is the son of God. And it was through her invitation that they were able to meet Jesus, the people in her village. Now that's a powerful testimony, but what the underbelly is, is that if you have an invitational style, you don't want to depend on others to do all of the heavy lifting. You also need to practice sharing the gospel yourself. And at the end of the day, number six, service is one of the most popular ones, especially nowadays when we want to do good. And there was a woman named Tabitha in the scripture who in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, was always doing good for the people. And whenever you serve somebody in practical ways, meeting a practical felt need, their hearts are open to the gospel in manners that you can't imagine. And it's a great thing to want to show the love of Christ through serving the poor, serving the needs in the world. But the underbelly is, is you cannot replace acts of service for communicating the gospel. Service opens the door, but hearing the word allows people to believe. And ultimately, we don't want to serve people all the way to hell because we never give them the gospel, which can turn them from darkness to light, from death to life, and from the power of Satan to God. Ultimately, we can serve and love people, but without them receiving the gospel, they cannot receive salvation. So service opens the door to you communicating the good news. And then finally is the seven, the chance encounter conversation, which was exemplified by Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch when he was able to go up into his, uh, on the road as they were uh, traveling together, he was able to go up into his chariot, explain to him the um, uh, passage out of Isaiah that he was reading. And then in Acts chapter eight, the Ethiopian was able to not only respond to the gospel, but get baptized before Philip would disappear and go on his way. And really what Philip was doing was heeding the exhortation that the Holy Spirit would ultimately give Paul the Apostle when he said, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That means in your daily conversations, you might be talking to, about, to a coworker, a neighbor, or a friend about some issue they might be dealing with in their family, in a relationship that they might have, a job that they might have. And then through the open door of their circumstance, you're able to apply God's truth 
his word and his hope in the gospel to their lives that their eyes might be opened and that they might turn to him and receive him. And that's a chance conversation. But the underbelly of that is, is that you won't, don't want to just wait on those chance conversations to communicate the good news of Jesus. You don't want to fail to be intentional with those by whom you are surrounded, expecting all opportunities to fall into your lap. You always need to remember that when Jesus said to make disciples, he said, go, proactively go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded you. So those are the seven styles. And what I'd like you to do is to really think about what style God has most geared you toward. Is it the confrontational? Is it the intellectual? Is it the testimonial? Is it the service? Is it the chance encounter? Or is it the interpersonal? Whatever style you find yourself, you need to cultivate it so that like Matthew, you can not only receive and know the love of God, but you might be healed and offer that same healing to the world. And so as we close today, I want to pray for us that we'd be able to find ourselves in those styles and not only find ourselves in those styles, but actually be empowered by the Holy Spirit himself to actually think about who we can invite to church, who we can invite to community group, who we can invite into the life of God as we ourselves have received it, okay? And then I'll pray for anyone who needs to begin that ultimate relationship with Jesus today. So Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters, and I thank you that God, you are a God who loves and heals sinners. But not only do you love and heal us, but then you call us as healthy people to help you in the process of healing the sick. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that as we re-engage not only you and community, but also our culture and the world, that you would help us to find our style of evangelism that you've given each and every one of us, that you would help us to actually do it consistently, effectively, and that we would bear much fruit showing ourselves to be your disciples. That not only would we walk in your healing, but God, you would use us in your healing process towards others. God, may many testimonies come forth in the coming days, months, and years of how you've used our lives to actually be a bridge of reconciliation between yourself and others through the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. And now for you, if you have uh, heard this message today, but you said, you know what? I've been like Matthew on the outside, really having a stigma attached to my name. I know I've lived in sin and deserve death and hell, but I don't want it. And I want to start my walk, be reconciled with God today. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. And I know that in the midst of my sin, I deserve death and hell but I've heard your word today that you both love and heal sinners. God, would you both love and heal me today? God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I believe that you sent Jesus to live the perfect life that I should have lived. And on the cross, die the sacrificial death that I should have died. And three days later, be raised from the dead so I could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new life in you. God, would you make me a new creation today as I proclaim Jesus, my Lord. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. And thank you for your resurrection. Teach me to love you as you've loved me from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash newlife. There you can find not only next steps, but also resources of how to walk out this new life of grace in God, in community, by faith. And so if you need prayer, their prayer council is for you today. Would you click on the button below and let us know that you've made a decision for Jesus today? And for the rest of us, let's go back into the worship and honor the one who loved us even while we were sinners and fights every day to make us healthy and whole in Jesus' mighty name.
All right, as we come back into a time of worship, let's just focus on just really how God is enough. No matter what we go through or the needs that we feel like we have or the unanswered prayers, we know that in the end, God really is enough to satisfy us. God really is enough to bring us purpose and light in every day. And so this song is called Enough, and I invite you to worship with us in this last song with that in mind. We hope that you are strengthened by that last worship set and are once again filled with the encouragement that comes from the knowledge of God's great love for you. We're going to continue to talk about these matters in our community groups this week. So if you've not yet found one, please go to our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you, so let us know how we can be standing with you. And also think about how you can share this link with others who also need to be spurred on by the grace of God towards them. Uh, do invite those same people with you to our service next week. And until then, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.